At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. What the move in yields means to your money and the high-flying growth trade, is it in jeopardy? We debate that with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, and Rob Seachin with UBS Private Wealth Management, one of Forbes' top 100 financial advisors. Let's begin with a look at stocks. One of the biggest questions now facing investors, the move in interest rates, the impact, if any, that it could have on that tech trade. Josh, you know, 10-year, 78 basis points, a highest since August, the 30-year highest since June. Is this going to be a big risk for that growth trade? I'm not sure. It, it certainly... It, it, it certainly could be, but here's, here's the way that I think we want to think about this. If you go back to February of 2018, that is when the yield curve peaked, right? So then we've had several scares where it looked like we were going to have a yield curve expansion above those levels at about 0.7 uh, basis points in the tens and twos, but we're not really there, and we're not above it, and every time we've gotten to that level, we've had a big fade. What is happening now, Judge, though, that I do think is notable, is that there's a big catch-up trade underway. The New York Stock Exchange advanced decline line just hit an all-time high. Small cap value is on fire. Uh, small cap value up 5.5% over the last three days. And large cap tech is really not giving up much while that's happening. So it's possible that you could have both things working at once. And I still think that if you get the big cap tech names hanging up there toward highs, and not serving as a source of cash. And then you get this big catch-up trade in the Russell 2000 names. On balance, it's bullish for both. So I really don't think we want to talk about these things as either or mm-hmm. quite at this, at this moment. Okay. Um, very good points you make. Steph, do you agree with that? And do you think that maybe you would get some money coming out of those big tech names, the Microsofts and Apples, Facebooks, et cetera, you know the ones I'm talking about, um, if rates continue to move higher? If rates continue to move higher, that's a function of the economy. Sorry, I'm getting some feedback. Um, so if rates, so if, guys, I'm getting feedbacks. Okay, um, we'll, we'll move it along. And uh, John, I'll ask you the same Me question. Too. John, I'll send it to you. We'll try and work on the audio, guys. We apologize um, for, for that. But this idea of rates now moving higher again, uh, obviously from very low levels. But if that move continues, is there pressure on tech? Well, we're on a roll uh, right now. That, uh, <laughs> that's clear. Rob Seachin, how about we try you? Maybe the price is right this time. What do you think? Can you, can you hear me I okay, hear Scott? You. Yep, I can hear you. All right, great. So I, it, it depends on how you look at it is the answer. We all know that if you discount uh, growth earnings uh, at a higher rate, that that should have implications as it relates to pricing of those stocks. 
Um, so there is a possibility that that happens. I would say that these stocks have become such darlings, though, it is unlikely that investors completely abandon them this time because that is where you're seeing the durability and consistency of that growth. I, I would also say that uh, absolutely Josh Brown was right. You had this situation where investors were massively caught off sides. You know, we were in the cautious consensus. We were coming into September and October, historically difficult months before an election, an election that was was likely going to be uh, it, it, at least contentious and maybe disputed. You had this second wave. You had a stalemate on stimulus. So we were comfortable maybe holding a little more cash than we would typically hold. And what's happened is markets seem to be pricing in a very benign outcome on those scenarios, viewing that we're going to have election certainty. We're unlikely to have another shutdown. The economic activity acceleration is real, and the Fed's going to be cautious about rising rates. Um, I would be, in the very short run, a little nervous about being too seduced by that narrative. Um, but in the intermediate term, I think we know we're going to have an election certainty. We know we're going to have a, a vaccine or therapeutic. It's, it's how widely distributed it will become and at what pace. But there are some positives on the horizon. And the main positive is you know that the Fed is going to stay engaged and this stimulus is going to be here one way or another, either early or late. And I think those are catalyzers for the market. Okay. But in the short that, run, I'm that, comfortable holding a little extra cash. That, that's not that far from the view, uh, Steph, that, that David Costin of Goldman Sachs puts forth, that he thinks, you know, the markets are reflecting more, un, more certainty, more certainty in the outcome of the election and starting to price in a blue wave and a big stimulus package coming from, from the Biden camp. And that's why rates are going up in anticipation of much higher spending from even these levels. Rates are going up for two reasons, because of better economic growth and the recovery coming faster than expected. We've talked about housing, auto and manufacturing at length over the last several months. Yesterday, you get a great ISM services number and across the board within the ISM services, new orders, employment, um, backlog, all going in the right direction and suggesting growth. And the JOLTS numbers today, that's a leading indicator for jobs. That was better than expected as well. So you're d definitely getting better growth, right? Maybe you're also starting to price in a Biden victory or a blue wave. Um, but either way, you're getting, you're probably pricing in um, stimulus, right? Does Mnuchin and Pelosi come to an agreement? and we get more stimulus? Okay. If not, does Biden win and we get more stimulus? Yeah, because guess what? Look at the sectors that uh, are outperforming. They actually correlate to a Biden win, right? Infrastructure, industrials, uh, clean energy. The iShares Clean Energy ETF is up 140% from the first quarter lows. So clearly they are pricing in something here. So I still think there's plenty of uncertainty, and I think that's why we're going to kind of bobble around in the market, because I do think we don't have these answers yet. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see some yeah. volatility. I, mean, I want to embrace that. I want to be buying and I want to be buying cyclicals. You're painting a fairly rosy picture of the economy, um, Steph. And, and we'll get back to that in a yeah. second, okay? Um, let me get to Josh Lipton, though, because we do have breaking news on Apple. You may have seen a flash at the bottom of our screen. If you didn't, uh, even if you did, Josh Lipton fills us in right now. Josh? So, Scott, Apple just now and uh, giving out invitations here for its next big event. It reads, 
high speed. Please join us for a special Apple event from Apple Park. Watch it online at apple.com October 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific. This would be the event where uh, we would expect CEO Tim Cook uh, to announce those new 5G-enabled iPhones. Some reports suggest uh, four models could be on the way. Of course, we need details on features for those new handsets and critically uh, pricing. We know Apple has been seeing stronger than expected demand for iPhones, revenue for iPhones, uh, easily beating expectations in its most recent quarter. Um, of course, one subject a lot of investors will ask questions about, what will be demand like for these new handsets, just given some of the challenges, the pandemic and the recession. But again, Apple's next big event here, Scott, October 13th, starting at 10 a.m. Pacific. Back to you. Okay. Appreciate that, Josh Lipton, very much. Uh, gang, we're going to get back to our election conversation, the economy conversation, but let's keep this ball in the air for a little while, Doc. Uh, big position that you have in Apple, um, that plays into the conversation we started our program with. Rising rates and impacting some of these big tech stocks. It's obviously had a great run, has Apple, year to date. That stock, as I see, is up more than 50% year to date. However, it is 17% or so off of its high, right? So how does this event, this 5G yes, expectation, play into where the stock goes from here? Um, well, you know, asking a guy who's long the stock, of course, Judge, it's like asking me if I had a bet on Kansas City last night. Um, if I was rooting for them or if I was betting with my heart. Um, I, I really think Apple is going to continue to do well. I think the 5G is a game changer. I think that uh, taking out Logitech devices and Sonos devices out of their online store kind of told you a lot about where they think they are as far as that they think they don't need those peripherals. They think you could still go and buy them at Best Buy or Amazon, but taking them out of their store as they did today and both those stocks trading down pretty hard. Apple is going to do very well. They're obviously in a different position than virtually everybody else, with the exception possibly of um, Microsoft, as far as the amount of cash they generate and where they can borrow. So rates are going up. Uh, Judge, we saw some big put purchases at the end of September, just September 30th last week, big put purchases in the TLT. Now, they've already made some nice coin on those purchases, mm -hmm. and a lot of us think that you could continue to see rates moving up, even though that's contrary to what everybody said. They said it'll be lower forever. I do think we will go <coughs> back to lower, Scott, but I think in the short term, we're going to see a pop out of rates, and that's what that bet in November on those uh, interest rate uh, ETFs told me. Hey, hey, Josh, how much of the 5G is already in Apple and the move that we saw? I mean, you have to believe that some of the move in the stock building up to this moment was because of 5G, right? Steve Weiss has talked about it all the time on this program, as have many, many people. What do you, what do you think? Well, I think that many investors are aware of the opportunities that 5G creates, but I'm not sure analysts have done a, a, a ton of um, changes to estimates based on how well they think the next phone will sell. So I, w I would argue that while there's broad awareness of how amazing five, a 5G future will be um, for the ecosystem, I'm not sure that that's definitely in the stock. And if it was, then clearly a lot of that enthusiasm has already come out, given the drawdown that Apple is in right now. So I wouldn't use that as a reason to not want to enter uh, a position here. 
All right. I want to get back to the conversation we were having. And, and Steph, you know, as I, as I went to you about this cost and note, which is pretty provocative in terms of what the outcomes of the election could mean for your portfolios, which a, a lot of people care about, right? We're four weeks uh, to the day from Election Day. And you did, you were painting a very rosy scenario uh, for the economy. Um, I don't know if a lot of people agree with you on that, but that's what you're attributing the, the move point. higher. That's, that's the whole what, point. That, that's what you're attributing the move higher in rates to more than anything else. Both. It's both. I, I had said it's, it's coming from both reasons. Both reasons: better economy and getting more certainty on the elections, and more importantly, it's fiscal. See, because I think fiscal, they got to get it done because you can't have 14 million people unemployed. Right. So they're going to get it done. It's a matter of timing. Is it Pelosi Mnuchin ahead of the election or is it a Biden if he wins and and it doesn't even have to be a a, a blue wave? You still have uh, an interest in getting some sort of fiscal done. So that is what is these two things. When value and cyclical start to work, it's when you see better growth and and inflation starting to go up. And by the way, inflation break evens, they have resumed their upward charge. They paused on August 31st, along with the market, and now they have resumed higher. That's a very big tell. So I'm not saying we're often you know, going to see rampant inflation and massive growth. We are going to see massive growth in the third quarter. But then it returns to something like 4 or 5%. That's still pretty darn good. And that's good for a sector and sectors that are under-owned, under-loved, which are the cyclical sectors. So, Rob Seachin, how do we, how do we score this out here? You've got the prospects of big spending... A big spend, spending package, if, if it is a blue wave, as David Costin was talking about, the markets maybe trying to price that in, versus what could be higher taxes, both capital gains uh, and corporate, and then the prospects of fewer buybacks, which would be the result as well of higher taxes, lower earnings, and would that be lower stock prices too? And, and more regulation in that environment. I think uh, you, here's what you have is you have higher taxes and more regulation taking a back seat to more stimulus uh, right now. In addition, you have the notion that there's likely to be a vaccine or treatment sometime in the in the intermediate term. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too off sides on this notion, though, because let's remember on November 7th, 2016, the betting markets going into the next day, which was the election day, had Hillary Clinton at 89% chance to win and Donald Trump at 11% chance. So there's certainly a lot of surprise that can happen. I think what the markets have liked is the certainty that comes from the notion of Biden widening, widening his lead. Okay? There's still a lot that can happen with a month to go. And I think we could get back into this contested notion. And that might be disruptive to markets. Okay. And if I'm thinking about how to position portfolios right now, we're overweight global stocks for sure, because the risk trade for the long term is on. But we built some cash and we built some cash out of the areas that we felt were the most frothy, taking back a little bit of our gains in tech, moving into some industrial exposure with the notion that in the intermediate term, we're going to see this cyclical pickup continue, which we're already seeing in the numbers that Steph talked about. Yeah, but, you know, unless, Josh, as you've suggested on this show, that that pickup pickup in cyclical stocks and value stocks is just yet another false move, that it only lasts for a very short period of time. Then you go right back to the growth stocks. It's what you look at through a stock like CrowdStrike, which you like which you own and which is having a breakout in its own right and doesn't show any signs of slowing down anytime soon. 
Yeah, so just to address the previous point, um, and, and I agree with what Rob had to say, that balance between an uncertain election outcome, but you know, the, the coming of a vaccine, which I think most people expect news on at some point before the end of this year. Uh, I actually think it'll be earlier. Um, so that, that's that push and pull. And people are like, well, why is the stock market so close to all-time highs if everyone's worried about the election? Because what they're actually doing is, is the, 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 the fear of all of that is taking place away from the stock market in the options market. Let's take a look at the VIX. It's over 28. The average five, uh, level of the VIX over the last five years has been about 17. So about 80% above the average level of the VIX for the entirety of the Trump presidency and even before then. Um, so that's significant. And so what you're measuring there is basically uh, puts and calls out of the money within a window of 16 to 44 days from now. That is where people's fears about a contested election are taking place. Additionally, there's a lot of money in treasuries. And even though yields have risen somewhat, that money is going to stay there, I think, uh, through the end of the year. I, because this contested, contested election could go on through December. Don't forget, Al Gore didn't concede until December 13th or something. And does anyone want to say that this version will be more benign than that one? I don't. So I think that that's where the fear trade is happening. It's not happening in stock prices right now. To your question about growth versus hey, value. Hang on, Josh, real look, quick. Forgive me. I really For, Josh, forgive me. Uh, uh, let me yeah. jump in. I'll, I'll come back to you, I promise. I have breaking news with Phil LeBeau uh, regarding the airlines. Phil? Um, Scott, we just received a memo from uh, American Airlines, the pilots union. The union is saying that it will be postponing, at least until December, the beginning of 737 MAX pilot training. Now, at first blush, this is one reason why shares of Boeing are lower. The reality is that you have uh, mainly a scheduling issue here, and they want to make sure that the plane is recertified, which many believe it will be by mid-November. So the fact that they're pushing training from December or from November back into December, not a huge change in the eyes of the pilots, and I think, frankly, in the eyes of American Airlines either. But again, the pilot training, which was scheduled to begin in November for 737 MAX, the recertification of the MAX, once that is done, that, that pilot training at American Airlines has been pushed off to December. All right. We appreciate it, Phil. Thanks for the update. Phil LeBeau uh, joining us there. Steph, you own Boeing. I do. Um, no, it's not surprising at all. Um, uh, I just think the more positive is that the FAA head just flew two rounds on the 737 MAX and had actually very positive things to say. So we know it's coming. Um, it's a timing issue. This year is a write-off anyway. It's all about in the coming years and what the free cash flow they can generate as they get that plane back up in the air. And so this one, you have to have patience. It's had a nice rally off the lows. I'm not surprised to see it give back today. I would actually be adding to it today uh, if it goes a lot lower because I do think next year the setup is quite good. Josh, I want to come back to you on where we were talking. Um, you know, you were making a point about uh, what could be in store for Election Day, but I don't want to over... Uh, I don't want to run over the point we were making as well about growth and, and stocks like CrowdStrike, which we were looking at. And, and you've been making the point that it is poised for even more of a breakout. So you can finish your point that you were making earlier, please, but also get to the CrowdStrike issue for our viewers, if you don't mind. Well, I so CrowdStrike is emblematic of what I want to say. There are basically three mega trends right now. This has not been a difficult, uh, let's say, six-month period in the stock market, quite frankly. Because what all three megatrends have in common is that they were inevitable before the pandemic, 
and they've accelerated. So we've talked about housing a lot. Those stocks all look unbelievable. The one that I'm in is uh, Steward Information Services, STC, which is title insurance. Um, it's a small cap, so be careful buying it. But uh, you can't close on a home without title insurance, and home sales are up 20% year over year. That's not going to stop. Uh, CrowdStrike, you cannot do this work from anywhere economy if you're not protecting not only data, um, but workloads. And CrowdStrike is in a TAM that's potentially $5 trillion, uh, $1 trillion over the next five years. So they are growing twice as fast, according to Goldman Sachs, than all of their peers, which are also growing very fast. And the more stuff that moves digitally, the more you require excellent endpoint security, network security, and CrowdStrike is crushing, obviously. Um, and then the third megatrend that I think feeds into that to some extent is consumer-facing businesses that have figured out how to move to digital or app-based or whatever. And so I own Starbucks, which is breaking out today. 94 is the all-time high pre-pandemic. If it closes here, it'll close around an all-time high since the pandemic started. Starbucks is one of the companies that has an app that works literally like magic. I can walk into a Starbucks and not even have to make eye contact with someone, which is my dream, if you know me. So this is not a hard year, Scott. These are the stocks that feed into the mega trends that are taking place right now. And all the pandemic economy has done is accelerate those trends. There are winners everywhere within those three categories. But you could also, everything you said could, could, be, could be absolutely true, but you could still have bubble pockets, if you will, John, within areas of tech. Even if the story is great and the story works, these stocks have gone up a lot. The, some of these stocks are, are trading at sky-high valuations. UBS today takes on one of the issues of their five key questions for the last quarter of the year and asks the question, is the tech bubble about to burst? They don't even think tech is, is in a bubble at all. They say current valuations appear justified, given uh, expected earnings growth of 18%. I don't know. Do, do you agree with that? You, are you comfortable with, with um, where tech is trading as a group? As a group, yes, I am, Scott. Um, and, uh, you know, we just heard with Josh Lipton uh, talking with uh, uh, Twilio CEO. And I, I think that many of these areas will continue to grow in 2021, 2022 and on. Now, will they grow at the same pace, which is a different question? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't even think Apple will grow at that same pace. I don't really think uh, very many of us do. But holding on to gains of the sort that you've seen out of Twilio or even out of, uh, if, if you want to stretch tech a little bit, over to Roku, I mean, there are a lot of these stocks, Scott, that continue to uh, grow even after COVID is in the rearview mirror. Uh, because we've embraced them, we like the tech, and because they've built basically nice moats for themselves. So I, I think that uh, the valuations are okay, um, and it's still the area that I want to be in versus those value stocks. So speaking of those value stocks, Rob, the flip side, of course, of the stocks that have done everything, so to speak, mm -hmm. are those that have done next to nothing, and those are the banks. So let's end this segment of our program discussing the banks, because in the past five days, bank ETFs are up more than 10%. One-week performance 
the KBE 10.5, the KRE 11%, City 8, Wells 6.5, JPM and Bank of America up 5, Goldman and Morgan Stanley up 4, uh, respectively. 4.5 uh, and 4 for Goldman and, and Morgan, Morgan Stanley, res respectively. Do we believe in the bank trade or not, Rob? Uh, we're neutral financials, but let's remember they're beneficiaries of this rotation trade to cyclicals. So, uh, you know, should we get a sustained upward trajectory in rates? Banks will do very well in that environment. The economic activity that we're seeing, M&A activity that we're seeing, IPO activity that we're seeing, banks should do well in that type of envir environment. We think that's too early to call in a surgical way with financials, but you do get the benefits of this rotation to value and other cyclicals because of values componentry within the uh, financials componentry within the Russell 1000 value. And, uh, you know, I think that one of the things that points that, that people miss is you do not need tech to roll over for these, the, these to do well. What you need is when we come up on the end of the year and you have actuarial investors that need to make allocation decisions as to where they're going to put capital, generally they put it in the most attractive place. If we can see this economic acceleration continuing, I think that capital allocation is going to go less to fixed income and more into equities, more into global equities, and more into cyclical equities if that happens, not at the expense of tech. I want to make one more point, Scott, if I can. The real action that we've seen, and Josh pointed it out, and I think it's really interesting for anybody that's trying to help clients navigate these markets, and it's the volatility and mispricing that we've seen in options. And what we've done is try to help clients take advantage of that mispricing so that they can manage risk in their portfolios in an intelligent way by selling to those, selling that vol to those that are trying to maintain their equity exposure through buying options, buying out of the money calls, buying out of the money puts, which has driven those prices up to some extreme levels. Okay, good stuff. Let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about this mystery chart. It's a red-hot tech stock. It's more than double this year, and two bullish calls made on it just today, and two of our experts own it as well. We reveal it, and of course, we debate it. Plus, CNBC unveiling the top 100 financial advisors for 2020, and we have the number one advisor joining us today in just a few moments. We're back in two minutes. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Florida's Governor DeSantis has extended voter registration in that state by a day after Florida's online system crashed. 
The new registration deadline is 7 p.m. tonight. Hurricane Delta has grown to become a major Category 4 storm. Maximum sustained winds are now 130 miles per hour. Royal Dutch Shell says it's evacuating all non-essential personnel from its facilities in the U.S. as part of the Gulf of Mexico. Italy's health minister discussing a proposal to make masks mandatory outdoors to combat recent coronavirus outbreaks. Tomorrow, the government is expected to pass new restrictions, including the mask mandate and limits on gatherings. Here at home on a flight between Arizona and Utah, a fight broke out between passengers after one of them refused to wear a mask. He was apparently told by a flight attendant that his face shield was not enough protection. It's the new world we live in. That's the news update this hour. Scotty, back to you. 2020 in America, Sue. Yep. That's where we're Can't at. Can't be over soon enough. <laughs> you said that. Sue, thanks. Mm -hmm. All right, that's Sue Herrera. I mentioned two price target hikes today for our mystery stock owned by two of our investment committee members. NVIDIA is the one. It's only up 135% year to date. BMO raises the price target now, $650. Oppenheimer goes to $600. Steph, Josh, you both own it. Stephanie, you go first. <laughs> So, yeah, it was a positive analyst day yesterday. They did a very good job highlighting the opportunities in hardware and software and the ecosystem that as AI penetrates and markets and the market shares that they can grow. The differentiator at NVIDIA is their software plat and their um and their platform scale. Both of those things are the things that give them the competitive advantage. And the ARM acquisition only is going to help this. And so they increased their total addressable market in data center from 50 billion to, to 100 billion by 2024. That's 2024, that's right around the corner. So naturally numbers go up. Price targets go up. I like the story. I like the total addressable market uh, concept. I'm a little uneasy with the 62 times forward estimates, but it's in a secular growing business, and it's the one I want to own. So, Josh, um, I mean, uh, you own it. I guess you agree with everything Steph said. Everything we've talked about with this stock on the show for the last five years has happened and is happening. And just a couple of quick quotes I'll pull out from uh, BMO first. They say NVIDIA's pace of innovation appears to be accelerating and its execution is going into overdrive. And they are basically taking on not only bigger penetration within the total addressable markets that they currently serve, but plowing their way into new ones that demand analysts to take note and rethink the way they're valuing this company. This is from Oppenheimer. Um, NVIDIA is transforming from a chip company to a full-stack AI computing platform. So what they're doing in data center is a combination of what they've been able to build themselves and then the acquisition of Mellanox, which is transformative for the company. And then what they're doing on AI and where they want to take this thing to mobile if they can close, uh, if they can close the Arm Holdings deal. Arm Holdings sold 22 billion chips last year. Let me say that again. Arm Holdings sold 22 billion chips last year. NVIDIA is not in mobile, so this is yet another potentially transformative deal. In the meanwhile, everything GPU is, is flying because of the video game super cycle. We have a new PS and a new uh, Xbox coming for Christmas, and all of the new games are requiring more and more of this kind of distributing uh, uh, graphical processing. So uh, NVIDIA is the name in all of these massive markets and getting into new ones, and for those reasons, I've stayed long the stock. Um, Valuation-wise, real quick, 
45 times earnings, which is roughly in line with the, the five-year uh, Kager. So it's not that outrageous. Yes, the stock has gone up a lot, but its business is going up a lot too. It's not this out-of-the-blue thing that's happening with the stock price. It's reflecting increased execution, increased innovation. So uh, I'm long. I intend to stay long. I have not ever sold uh, other than recently to trim a little bit as the position grew too big um, for, for the overall portfolio. Okay. We will take another quick break. Coming up, John has his latest trades in unusual activity. And as we go to break, take a check on the S&P sector heat map led by utilities today. It's a fairly flat day for the S&P, at least at this moment, down three and a half. We're back on the half after this quick break. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back. Peloton shares have risen over 12% in the past week. And bullish options traders now are jumping into the name. I don't know, are they a little late, Doc? Well, we're hoping not, Scott. <laughs> but <laughs> they've been buying in this name for quite a while. I mean, just last week they were buying when the stock was 97.98. And now here it is pushing to 112 today. They're buying the 115 calls that expire next Friday. That's regular October expiration. They're buying those 115 calls instead of buying the stock, obviously, because they can spend four bucks for that call, Scott, instead of uh, $112 for the stock. Uh, so you only have a limited amount of time to be right. Because of that, I'll probably be in them three to five days. Second trade, this one's also moving up pretty fast, and that's the IWM. The IWM, um, as far as uh, this week expiration, the stock was 157 or 157.50 today. They were buying the 159 calls, Scott. Big numbers. They bought those right away. Now the stock has run to about 159 just moments ago. I'll be in these trades, or that trade rather, probably about two to three days. Finally, just a quick update. Exalta, that coatings company that I talked about last week, it doubled, those options did, that is, from about 40 and 50 cents. Now it's trading almost 140. I've taken off half that position. I'll leave the rest on for a few more days, Scott. All right, good stuff. Good to know. Doc, thank you for that. Coming up, thank you. we're unveiling our Financial Advisor 100 list for 2020 today. The number one pick joins us in two minutes on the half. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Welcome back. Today, CNBC is unveiling our second annual Financial Advisor 100 list. 
The firms on that list represent roughly $485 billion in assets under management. They were ranked using a proprietary methodology developed by CNBC in partnership with data provider AccuPoint Solutions. Key criteria including total years in business, average account size, and total accounts under management. Joining us now, the number one firm on that list, second year in a row, Salem Investment Counselors, represented by its president, David Ray. David, welcome back. Congrats. Nice to see you again. Uh, thank you, Scott. It's great to be back. Thanks. It's, it's wonderful for us. Must be doing something right if you're here two years in a row. Well, I, I, I hope so. 41 years here uh, of doing it, working hard and doing what we know, which is serving our clients well and picking great long-term stocks. So, well, yeah, we think we're doing some things right. All right. Yeah. Now's a good time to have this conversation, too. Uh, just give me a broad view of the market before we dial down into some names. Yeah, well, I think probably like last year, the market's okay. Um, you could argue that on some metrics, it's expensive. You know, PE, um, price to sales might be a little high. Price to cash flow might not be. But when adjusted for interest rates where they are, it seems fine. You know, we, we're looking at a, an economic reopening, I think. Um, we're looking at probably some uh, good science on the horizon, uh, probable vaccine, probable treatments. And we're looking at a tremendous amount of stimulus in the system. So we think the market's fine. Where do you, I mean, it looks to me from the places that you like and dislike and the positions that you have, you're, you're not a huge believer in a rotation away from this growth trade or tech trade into a lot of the value places, right? Uh, no, uh, I think we, we're sticking with momentum. You know, like we talked about last year, we, we've owned uh, Apple for over 10 years, Amazon for four or five, Microsoft for probably 25 years. So we are really long-term um, holders of some of these wonderful companies. And we've been looking around for new things to do. Uh, you know, this year we early in March added several names in the housing uh, area. I think that's a long term, longer term trend probably. But by and large, we, we are sticking with those um, large cap growth stocks um, that we've owned for a long time. Lennar is one of those housing names. I mean, that space has been uh, red hot. So that was good timing on your part. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook. Uh, you know, it's obviously been top heavy in the way that those stocks have moved. Uh, certainly right. early on in the year for the, for, for the most part of the year. Now they are off a fairly decent amount from their highs. Do you worry at all about this move higher in rates and then that trade falling in any way, shape, or form out of favor? Uh, not too much. I, I think uh, if we get a move in rates, we probably means the economy's um, getting better, uh, right? So that probably um, bodes well for those uh, companies. And we do have, you know, Berkshire's a, a large holding, Pepsi's a large holding. So it's not like we are, uh, and we own, we own two of the major banks, uh, Bank of America and J.P. Morgan. So we, we, are, we try to have a pretty diverse portfolio that can maybe uh, do well under all kinds of weather, if you, if you would. Yeah. What, what's your most recent buy? Uh, most recent, I can, I can tell you probably the most recent, like four buys, um, Pinterest, we added three or four months ago, uh, green brick partners in the housing area, Fiserv, um, 
and KB Holmes probably two or three months ago. Yeah, playing a lot of the themes that have been working, um, as you yeah. said. Yeah. I, I have a uh, I have a top uh, top 100 advisor uh, with me on the committee today. I'd like to bring into our conversation too. Uh, Rob Seachin, you have a question for Mr. Ray. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the, the magnitude of the move in some of these valuations, how do you think about yeah. managing risk as we come into uncertain environments for your clients? Or is it more of a hold through methodology or do you do you pair, reposition, raise cash? How do you think about that? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and as somebody told me early in my career, it's easy to buy stuff. It's hard to know when to sell it. Um, so the way we, we manage risk is if, if you think about the stocks that we, we just got done talking about, Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, you know, those have grown so much that they get to be outside, outsized positions for clients. And so we pair those back. Um, we really haven't sold a major position for a while, but if we've made a mistake or something has run way out of favor, we'll sell it. But typically we're, we are pairing back positions and then, uh, you know, like this year, we might have paired back some Apple or Amazon and bought some housing names or, or social media names for people. So that's, it's, it's more that than in our 41 years of being here, we've really only probably had two or three times that, that we thought we could make like a market call. Um, so it, it's more pairing back risk. David, I appreciate it. Congratulations to you uh, and your firm. And let's not wait another year to have a conversation about the markets, all right? Let's do it anytime. We've got a great firm and a great client base and wonderful staff. So anytime you guys want. Thank you so much. All right. You be well. Uh, best of the folks Thank down you, there you in uh, Winston-Salem as well. Later this month, by the way, the CNBC FA Summit will bring together the country's top advisory firms to explore the state of the markets and join our Josh Brown and more advisors to discover new ways to address the increasingly complex needs of your clients Visit cnbcevents.com slash FA Summit to learn more and register. That will be just a couple weeks' time, October the 20th. Let's get to Kayla Tausche now. She has breaking news on President Trump's condition. Kayla, it sounds like it's continuing to improve. It is, Scott. We just got a memo released by the physician to the president who says that he met with the president uh, with a team of doctors at the residence at the White House this morning uh, and that he had a restful first night at home and that he is currently presenting no symptoms of COVID-19. He says the president's vital signs and physical exam remain stable and that the president has an ambulatory oxygen saturation level of 95 to 97 percent that the president continues to do extremely well and that Dr. Sean Conley will provide updates as they know more. That oxygen saturation level is important because that was one of the vital signs that uh, when it dropped on Friday led doctors to um, send the president or recommend that he go to Walter Reed. Uh, so the president's condition is continuing to improve as he continues his care from the White House residence. Scott? Yeah, trending in the right direction uh, for sure. Kayla, thank you so much. That's Kayla Tausche down in D.C. for us. Coming up, oil prices, they're bouncing. We'll find out how the futures traders are playing that next. Time for the futures outlook. Crude is higher today on supply disruptions. Let's bring in Jeff Kilberg and Bill Baruch. Jeff, what are you focused on? Well, Judge, it's nice to see crude back above $40. And I'm bullish here. And the reason I'm bullish is that the expectations, Q4 expectations for crude are pretty weak. So therefore, I'm looking for the correlation. We've talked a lot on the show, Judge, about the correlation of crude to U.S. equities. It's actually very similar to my relationship with the Peaks Hut delivery guy. 
on and off again. But right now, I see the correlation with crude oil to those equities back on. Therefore, I think the trajectory and the fundamentals and all the economic data we look at is picking up. We will see demand move further, and that's going to increase the price of crude oil. Bill, I've seen this movie before. Does it have a different ending this time? Well, third. We could. 36 and a half double bottom. Really big, powerful move here to start the week. Up 10% before you know it. So so where to now? 39 and a half. We're immediate term bullish above there, but the 200-day moving average is 41.37. We've got to get a close above there. In fact, the 50-day moving average is there as well. So we could see the golden cross. We need to start closing out above 41 and a half. That should bring a tailwind to at least 43 and a half. But remember, we've got to see it hold out above 39 and a half. All right. Guys, good to see you. Bill Baruch, Jeff Kilberg. We'll talk to you soon. We'll come back. Final trades are next. Right, welcome back. We'll do final trades in just a moment. But, Steph, I want to talk about a stock you've been adding to. Don't, don't go anywhere yet, Steph. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> XPO, <laughs> XPO just Logistics. My notes. You're, not, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. <laughs> XPO Logistics. You added to it. <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I really do like the logistics space. This, this company has lagged UPS and FedEx. They have margin upside, free cash flow growth, and excellent uh, execution. So like this management team a lot. So I'll continue to add to it going forward. Okay. Rob Seachin, adding to industrials. Correct. This was, this was my final trade, too. So I guess we're, we're going to do them both at the same time. Go ahead. Economic acceleration happening, ISM, all the manufacturing data looks really strong. Possibility of more stimulus coming down the line and a really engaged Fed that's probably going to let this blow off and simmer over before they get involved. So have to like that sector. OK, good stuff. Good seeing you as well. Thanks for being here today. John and Jerry, we have a few you. things Thanks to cover, a uh, few things to cover with you. Um, Bank of America. Okay. Tell me about Bank of America, what you've done there before you get to your final trade. All right. Uh, big upside call buying there, Scott. Now they're in the money calls because the stock moved up through the strike price, through 25. That's the strike they're buying. Um, it's a, it was a cheap shot. It was one one hundredth of the money you would have had to spend to buy the stock. So I was in those. Okay. Scott. And your final trade? Facebook, 265 calls that expire this Friday. 15,000 of them have traded. Josh, quick with your final trade. Starbucks. Okay, and Steph, to you as well, final trade. Zimmer. Zimmer. Okay, now you're free to go, Steph, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Now I don't want to. Yeah, all right. I don't want you to go either. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thanks for watching The Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.